My name is Juliana C. Fuentes, and you're listening to Murmuring Tigers. Our overall theme and topic today is British literature. More specifically, answering the question why you should read British literature today. For this podcast, I decided to address and answer how can poetry serve as a social tool to call attention to social issues and bring about change, as well as talking about the benefits and limitations of activism through poetry. To answer this question, we're going to analyze the poem On Being Brought from Africa to America by Phyllis Wheatley. For those who have never read the poem, here it is. "'Twas mercy brought me from my pagan land, taught my benighted soul to understand that there's a God, that there's a Savior too. Once I redemption neither sought nor knew. Some view our sable race with scornful eye. Their color is a diabolical dye. Remember, Christians, Negroes, black as cane, may be refined and join thy angelic train. So, let's talk about what Wheatley is trying to say in her poem. Firstly, here's a little background on Wheatley. According to the National Women's History Museum, Phyllis Wheatley was the first African-American and second woman after Anne Bradstreet to publish a book of poems and was actually an African-American slave that was brought from Gambia for Africa when she was seven to eight years old. Phyllis Wheatley was then bought by the Wheatley family of Boston, Massachusetts, and from there she was actually educated. I tried to find an exact reason, but the only reasons I could find was that she was precocious, so my guess is the family took advantage of this while she was still expected to do her other duties. In 1767, Wheatley wrote and published her first poem in Newport, Rhode Island's Mercury. From here, she was published a few times in surrounding states. However, she was published a few years later in London and gained international fame from this. Of course, now you may be confused. How is Phyllis Wheatley a British author if she was an African-American slave? Well, according to the Poetry Foundation, by the time she was 18, Wheatley had gathered a collection of 28 poems for which she, with the help of Mrs. Wheatley, read advertisements for subscribers in Boston newspapers in February 1772. When colonists were apparently unwilling to support literature by an African, she and the Wheatleys turned in frustration to London for a publisher. And with the support of Selina Hastings, Countess of Huntington, she was able to publish her book in London. So while she was technically from America, quote unquote, she became largely known and published in London, which is why we can call her a British poet. Plus, she, as well as the rest of the Wheatley family, also were able to move to London, where she lived for a while and again, where she gained most of her fame and following. After some time, however, the Wheatley family died, and in 1778, Wheatley married a free black man named John Peters. From here, they moved from London to Boston, and Phyllis Wheatley tried to publish a second book of poems and sadly failed. And in 1784, she died in complications of childbirth. While she died at a very young age, she was still able to make a great impact on the abolition movement by showing Africans were just as smart and creative as anyone else, and should be treated and educated just like anyone else. With that knowledge, let's go back to her poem on being brought from Africa to America. This poem was published in 1773, which we learned earlier that this was her first published poetry book. This book was called Poems of Various Subjects religious and moral. This poem specifically talks about her experience as a young African girl being brought to America and becoming enslaved, much like the name of the poem suggests. However, Wheatley takes this opportunity to add religion to her call to action, sending the overall message that even in God's eyes, African people are worthy of his love and you should show African people the same respect as white people because we are all equal in God's eyes. 
the way I see it, she's calling people out with their own religion to show that they are not being good Christians and reminding them of their own beliefs. The Poetry Foundation gives a more scholarly interpretation of this and says, in addition to the classical and neoclassical techniques, Wheatley applied biblical symbolism to evangelize and comment on slavery. For instance, on being brought from Africa to America, the best-known Wheatley poem chides the Great Awakening audience to remember that Africans must be included in the Christian stream. Remember, Christians, Negroes black as Cain may be refined and join thy angelic train. This last line is generally what sends the message home to readers on what she is trying to convey to her audience, which is challenging racism and slavery in general, but more specifically in America, where at the time she had the most experience. Now that you have a better understanding of the general idea of the poem, let's take a little deep dive into what she's trying to say in each line. Wheatley begins this poem with this line, "'Twas mercy brought me from my pagan land," which, in my opinion, can be interpreted in two ways. One, she is saying quite literally what the line says, and that it was compassion and mercy that took her out of her pagan land for her to come to America and to learn and believe in God. This opinion is supported in the next couple of lines when she says, taught my benighted soul to understand that there's a God, that there's a Savior too, once I redemption neither sought nor knew. If you're of this thinking, these lines can be interpreted as her being grateful to learn about Christianity and being saved by Jesus, and that these ideas were all unknown to her, so she would have never sought out or looked into these ideas if it weren't for her leaving Africa. However, the other way of interpreting these first couple lines is that these words, in a way, is what she was being told when she was brought over to America and sold to the Wheatley family. So, for example, the first line would be things that she's being told by white Americans and to be grateful that her soul was saved from donation and that she was taken from her homeland. You know, be grateful for it. This goes into the next line of the poem, taught my benighted soul to understand, again, hitting home the idea that she was saved from damnation. Thank God this happened to her. The next couple of lines have the same meaning I mentioned before, but read it with the idea that this is being told to her, and you see it still sending home the message that without us saving you, where would you be? Which, in Wheatley's case, she was given great opportunities, but don't forget, this is all because she was taken from her home at a very young age to be a slave in America. In general, you could read the first part of the poem with both opinions, and that while she was grateful to be taught about God, she was also being told to be grateful for what happened to her, even though she probably wasn't actually grateful for that part of the situation. Who would be? The next two lines talk about how she and other Africans like her are seen in white Americans' eyes. Some view her sailor race with scornful eye. Their color is a diabolical dye. Specifically, that second line is where she is saying phrases that she and others of her same race have been told. This line communicates that these people are saying that the color of Africans or African-American skin is a diabolical sin and a sign of the devil. This is why Wheatley comes in with her next line saying, Remember, Christians, Negroes black as Cain may be refined and join the angelic train. Again, this is the line that hits home the comment of don't forget black people can reach salvation and redemption no matter of our skin color. However, one thing I found very interesting is that Wheatley mentions the biblical figure Cain. I say this is interesting because during this time, the story of Cain was actually being used to justify slavery. Ava Morachek explains this well by saying, Although nothing in the Bible suggests it's related to skin color, the motif that Cain was cursed with blackness and that black people are cursed as well was common from the 18th 
and into the 20th century. Together with the more common motif that Noah's son Ham was cursed with black skin and his descendants condemned to slavery based on Genesis 9:20-25. This interpretation of Cain's mark was deployed to justify the slave trade, and some religious denominations in America use it to support segregation and the exclusion of African Americans from church leadership. Obviously, this is a misinterpretation of the Bible to be used as a way to justify horrible actions. The story of Cain was obviously not to be interpreted this way and was actually supposed to show that God is a forgiving God. I say this because Cain was still protected by God even after he killed his brother. God put a mark on him so that no one would kill him, which is very kind of God considering his life was very much in danger. Going back to Wheatley, I found this symbol very interesting to use in this poem considering the history behind the use of Cain's story. While this poem was relatively very short, Wheatley packs a punch in what she's trying to say and overall, she's pushing for racial equality, and she's doing so in a very smart way by using what others preach to prove her point, which, at this time, was very smart of her to do. And honestly, this poem at times is still relevant today, almost 250 years later. Now that we've answered the question of how can poetry serve as a social tool to call attention to social issues and bring about change, let's go to the benefits and limitations of this type of call to action. The biggest limitation is that some will not understand what you're trying to say, or in general misinterpret your poem, which is important for this type of writing. Most poems need to be analyzed and read over and over to be understood, which is less effective than just calling to attention and action outright in a manifesto. I mean, look at the analysis of on being brought from Africa to America. However, not everyone wants to read a manifesto, so a poem can sometimes trick audiences into reading and getting exposed to an idea. This gets into my next point. Poems are most times very short, which can sometimes be both a limitation and a benefit to authors. I say this because things can be lost in what you're trying to convey to an audience, or you aren't able to say what you want to in general, and you have to write another poem to address another issue. This can be an issue in itself, because sometimes one poem can get more attention than another, and then bam, your other ideas are not being seen. At the same time, however, because poems are shorter, you can reach a wider audience. Take on being brought from Africa to America. This poem can be read in about 30 seconds, which is a lot shorter than reading the news or a manifesto or even a book to bring about change. So because of this, more people are willing to take 30 seconds out of their day to quickly read something. Another benefit is that most poems stand alone and pack a punch. While most poets publish full books with multiple poems on the same theme, poets don't exactly have to go this route. And instead, you can have your poem on a small piece of paper or publish in a newspaper. Since a poem is shorter, it can be a lot more meaningful than someone that is writing a book since poets have to be more concise. Speaking of having to be more concise, another limitation or negative of call-to-action poetry is that this type of writing can be hard to make. From having to rhyme to making sure the words you're using make sense and convey the plot, it can be a lot harder than just writing the story. However, overall, I find this type of poetry, and more specifically, British poetry very interesting and, in a way, fun to analyze to see what authors like Phyllis Wheatley are trying to tell me as a reader of their work. And that's why you should read British literature. So next time you see a British author in a bookstore or your teacher assigns your British author's piece, make sure you give it a chance and have fun with what you're reading. Again, my name is Juliana C. Fuentes. This was Murmuring Tigers. Thank you for listening. Until next time.